as part of the Jeremiah Show. It's the Arwen Lewis Show. Arwen Lewis is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitarist. She inhabits our blue planet, but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm. As the daughter of Peter Lewis, a founding member of rock and roll cult icons Moby Grape, and the granddaughter of Oscar-winning actress Loretta Young, she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host. There was a planet very, 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 very far away from what Earthlings being referred to as Earth. It was a ruthless fire-breathing planet that beings of Earth referred to as Mars. It reflected incredible beams of red and orange light, but never had an Earthling heard an audio recording of what the sounds of Mars were. On planet Earth, there was a United States government agency called NASA, the National Air... Aeronautics and Space Administration was responsible for science and technology related to air and space. NASA was determined to retrieve the sounds of planet Mars and bring them to their unusual planet. Coincidentally, also residing on planet Earth was a being named Jason Achilles, who was also intrigued by this idea. In 2017, Jason leveraged his audio expertise into technical consulting, joining forces with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, laboratory, ultimately helping bring to Earth, on a day unbeknownst to planet Mars, the first sounds of the planet as recorded by the Mars 2020 Perseverance rover. Concurrently, he served as principal investigator for a 2020 NASA Flight Opportunities Grant to successfully flight test his lunar exocam remote rocket viewing camera tech developed with Honeybee Robotics. Following an early 2022 U.S. tour as keyboardist for Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains, Jason now divides his time as a touring multi-instrumentalist, music producer, orchestral composer, and side gig as an aerospace entrepreneur. Currently, he is developing a live touring planetarium show that will inspire the public through an unlikely personal journey from music to space. When not on the road performing with live with his experimental cosmic space rock duo he can be frequently spotted with his nerd friends attempting to capture high fidelity audio from numerous rocket launches at vandenberg space force base in southern california and not have their microphones incinerated greetings jason that's a true story well the cameras at least (laughs) thank you for coming on my show today it's a pleasure to be here thank you well, your show happens to fall on episode one of season two of the Arwen Lewis show. How exciting. I'm, I'm excited for it. Well, this is a great way to start off the new season because we're not only talking about your career as a touring and recording musician, producer, and composer, but also a new subject to my show, Sound in Space. So our listeners just heard the recording captured by the DPA 4006 
capsule on board the Mars Perseverance rover. And that was released by NASA JPL on March 20 or March 17th, 2021. And the audio we just heard has been processed, right, to filter out electrical interferences caused by various internal systems while preserving clarity, the actual sounds became captured through the Martian atmosphere. So I thought we could start, Jason, by you telling us exactly what are we hearing on this recording? Yeah, it sounds like it's somebody's beating up Ford pickup or something. Um, yeah, that is the uh, that is the audio from a, a drive sequence that uh, Perseverance uh, executed. That sounds fatalistic, but um, yeah, that was the first time that uh, JPL turned on the microphone during a drive sequence that I'm aware of. I think that was Days Soul Sixteen, right? So Martian Days are called Souls because they're slightly uh, shorter, I think, than Days on Earth. So day 16 of when Perseverance landed would be Soul 16. So when you look these things up. Um, yeah, and so the, the squeaky, crazy, creaky sounds are... The microphone is sort of like if you were... If you were like the driver's side door handle on a car, that's kind of roughly where the microphone is, where the one that I worked on is. And so it's because there's six wheels on the thing, there's three on each side. One of the wheels is right next to that. And so that's why that squeaking sound is like really, really prevalent. Um, you also hear some clanging of the crossbar, I think, is from the... I mean, it's hard to know because nobody's there looking <laughs> at it, right? But there's some sort of obvious like reverber, uh, reverberance of the chassis, you know, because some of the sound you get, like, you know, if you put your ear up to a wall or any structure, you'll hear sounds traveling through the material itself. And so some of that, it's a cool sounding recording. Yeah. And so basically, yeah, what we do, uh, my friend, uh, got a friend of mine who works for me for, I don't pay him enough, but he, uh, he uh, basically is an audio engineer and I work I, I just record on tape, so I don't know how to do any of this stuff. But he has digital processing software. To uh, There's some really high-end noise reduction software called Isotope. Okay. And uh, he can use that to remove, like to filter out these. There's a self-noise produced by the rover, which we discovered um, once it <laughs> started making noise. Yeah, started <laughs> recording sounds. and it, It's a very loud self-noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you can you can remove that by processing with this uh, processing the sound files with this uh, noise reduction software. Okay. And so I my I don't work there anymore. My contract technically ended, you know, when the day that the thing landed. So once this stuff is publicly released, we take it, we clean it up, and then post it back so anybody can download it or you know use it as a reason to grease up your ball bearings or something (laughs) (laughs) basically that's the long and short answer that's nice um so i was wondering how uh how did the microphone get there and why did you choose that particular mic and what kind of mic is a dpa 4006 capsule dpa 4006 so the one we're talking in right now this is an re20 this is a dynamic microphone so this doesn't require an external power source um condenser microphones uh pre-polarized condenser microphones require a small voltage there's a lot more of a complex explanation which i won't go into right now because <laughs> nobody will care <laughs> but it's a very nice microphone it's a st- typical high-end studio microphone um i think they go for a couple grand um mi- mid-size condenser it's a half inch it's about 
the capsule, it's about the size of your thumb. Okay. Not including the preamplification circuitry, but that the one of the reasons that this microphone was chosen, um, our supervisor, actually the guy who hired us at, at uh, JPL, Dave Gruel, when we got, uh, well, initially and then rehired to sort of help with all this stuff, um, they have a preamp. They they the company DPA uh, had released a new product, which was a preamp uh, that's like this big. Uh, for those who can't see, it's like a large silver dollar or half dollar, and um, it's designed to be a preamp for like lavalier mics. Okay, so it can fit in your pocket, and it doesn't weigh that much. Um, well, there's a funny story about the weight, but I'd be giving away company secrets. Anyway, it, it has a very satisfying weight to it, which is, let's just say, not by accident. Um, and uh, so that was, we were able to, that we, the JPL was able to internally house that inside the rover so it wouldn't be bombarded with cosmic radiation and it would be more protected thermally. Um, so the only thing that actually had to be exposed was the microphone itself. And uh, some, I mean, that thing had no business working for five minutes let alone it's still working now it's what two years it's ridiculous yeah so we we just made the best selection we could i i hired um this uh caesar garcia was his name and i met him through another guy named brad avinson who was um designs a lot of pro audio equipment uh avinson audio is a company he has and they work together in a company called silicon audio which builds like they're designing uh optical microphones that use lasers and and um seismometers for volcanoes and they're designing a seismometer to send to europa and it's just That's amazing <laughs> was, i basically hired people a lot know, know a lot more than i do about all this stuff that was the point um you don't have to be like smart to this stuff but you just have to know how to find smart people i mean and that's half the battle yeah it's really yeah. it's it's like five sixths of the battle in my case uh, <laughs> but anyway they so uh they basically yeah we did this study together i got the gig and then put them to work basically mostly caesar okay. brad helped a little bit but uh caesar was amazing he also moonlights this guy just to give you guys an idea he in the 20 he was in the athens olympics as a diver that's cool yeah olympic diver that's yeah slumming now as an audio engineer <laughs> well now i don't even know he's like had three careers since then sounds he's, like he can do whatever he wants <laughs> yeah he's he's amazing um well how did you get the microphone to mars how did it get there how did the mars rover get there lots of money <laughs> and what what did the money um you know pay do? for yeah i don't know because it didn't go to me um <laughs> i got a little but uh not not much um enough to pay my guys that was helpful um the uh yeah so it it, it turned out that um nasa had sort of been trying to fly a microphone for the better part of a couple decades mm -hmm. and they had flown two microphones to mars one of which was on the um so oh, what was it i can't remember the name of the mission now anyway it 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 didn't it crashed <laughs> it's, yeah it's, whoops uh the second one was phoenix the phoenix lander and that i think that landed in 2008 if I remember. the first one was like 97 See, this is bad. I give a talk about all this stuff, but I don't have to remember these things because I have slides that have the dates. <laughs> and, uh, okay. Maybe we'll edit this part out. Um, 
But anyway, two separate microphones have been flown to Mars, and neither of them worked yeah. for various reasons. And then uh, a couple of missions just didn't have microphones. And so, long story short, I found that they were going to be flying one on Perseverance, and I really, really wanted in on that gig. So I started calling and emailing people at NASA until I finally um, found a uh, sympathetic ear that thought I could help out. And so... I got, yeah, I was very fortunate. I mean, it sounds like the stars aligned for you. I, yeah, well, the planets at least. Uh, oh, Mystery of Orbiter Crash Solved. Yeah, which one is this? Which one was that? Mm. Oh, that's a different one. That's the one where they didn't convert, yeah, metric into uh, Imperial. Nope. That's, there's a, I mean, the, it's been hard to get to Mars, man. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, people think, you know, space is really hard. It doesn't get enough... Doesn't get enough credit for how hard it is, you know. Well, so is sound engineering. So you didn't do the sound engineering. You don't work in sound engineering. Well, I work as a like recording engineer, right. but I've never been a technical uh, engineer. Oh, he's okay. Wait, no, I don't even. It wasn't Phoenix. All right, this is not helping. Yeah, we're just making things confusing. <laughs> um, but thank you, though. Somebody, anybody listening will know. Um, what was the question? I'm sorry. Well, okay, so I was confused because I, I mean, I know you're a producer and a sound engineer. Yes. For, but, okay, so that's a different skill set than what happened. With well, the- my, yeah, so the, the kind of sound engineering I do is like recording engineering. Right. Um, but I've never built a microphone. Um, I mean, you have to. It helps to understand the basic principles of them, especially when you're doing mic placement in a studio, things like, does this have a proximity effect or not, or, you know, things like that, right? But uh, I knew enough about, I found some early specs of one of the other microphones that was going to be flown on this instrument called SuperCam. I remember reading the, 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 the like, you know, the, the um, frequency response curve and stuff, and I was thinking, well, I've got to be able to send up something a little better than this, <laughs> which... For their intents and purposes, that instrument works great. But I wanted something that would sound good first, like right. which I don't think typically audio is a tricky thing when you try and explain to scientists because they're concerned about data. But like data doesn't reflect whether something actually sounds good or not. Excuse me. And so um, that's why one of our considerations was, OK, we want this to actually sound good and have a really high dynamic range have a really high um, noise threshold because we knew things were going to be for the most part pretty quiet up there um, and it turned out that we were able to find an option that checked all the boxes and also had to be uh, structurally not made of any materials that would cause any problems There's things like outgassing when you're traveling through space things basically slowly disintegrate certain mm-hmm. materials um, they essentially evaporate into deep space so like you know, certain rubbers or things like that, or if you have any gaseous particles trapped inside a material, they'll slowly leach out over six months. You don't want this. Nobody likes a leach in any. (laughs) 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 So those are the considerations. And so I started doing a lot of research, basically. Okay. You can find a lot of stuff on YouTube and the internet these days. I have a friend that, you know, she got hired to be a private chef. For an event, she had no idea how to cook, and all she did was Google, how do you cook a chicken on YouTube, and, you know, she got the job. I, I refinished my floors <laughs> in my home the same way, you know, like YouTube and asking, you know, dudes that hanging out at Home Depot, and yeah, yeah. you can 
It's remarkable. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) Well, how did you, so let's start talking about um, your work as a producer. Do you produce yourself and, you know, what got you into production? Why do you want to start doing that in the first place? Uh, Sort of a um, nonsensical ego. Like, yeah, for for some inexplicable reason, I thought even when I was very young and knew nothing that somehow I could... um, record my early my first band better than anybody i just you know when i was terrible engineering you know but and I, the, back then i was using an eight track quarter inch reel to reel um so yeah and actually the other reason which i was always like the few times i would go into a recording studio to play obviously not talk i have no problem talking <laughs> but if i had to play i would get like all nervous and you get like oh it's forever ah, and then you get in your own head and you're you know and i wasn't enough of an alcoholic to like you know get past any of that stuff so um i decided the only way i'd ever be in re- comfortable in a recording environment is if i could control the environment so ego and control freak is how i got into recording well, it's worked out <laughs> quite nicely for you, actually. <laughs> it was, yeah, I still, like, get wonky in the studio, but it, it's helped a lot. Well, and so we're playing all the tracks that we're playing today, besides the symphony, which we're going to talk about. But um, Actually, I mixed the, that recording. You did? Yeah, I didn't re- obviously didn't record it, but I did mix it. Okay. Which was the first symphony recording I've ever mixed. How many? Okay, I want to give it away yet because we're going to talk about it later. Learn by doing, ladies and gentlemen. How many tracks did you have to mix for that? Oh, gosh. It was a lot. I mean... Like hundreds? No, it wasn't hundreds. It was less than a hundred, but it was... uh, I don't know. I'd have to look. Probably 40-something tracks, maybe, I'm guessing. That sounds really scary. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So, the interesting thing about... I don't know if anybody's interested in the ins and outs of recording a symphony. Um, So we did this in, uh, sorry, no, that one was recorded in Budapest. This is the first time I'd ever done anything like this. Um, The biggest issue is it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think it, even going overseas, even with the flights and paying my orchestrator and everything else, uh, it was still probably like three times cheaper than doing it in the States. And you fully, you outwrote, you own your material outright. Nice. So it's it's a yeah it's a good idea if you can do it. And a cultural experience, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we got to you know it's in Budapest. It's yeah. <laughs> amazing. Um, so I met an orchestrator who does a lot of work over there. His name's Andy Brick. He's amazing, and he basically I had I'd written these pieces, two pieces, when I was in college, probably like twenty years old, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of for fun for like an undergraduate recital thing. And I wrote them as piano scores, but they were always meant to be orchestral. In my mind, they were always orchestral pieces. How I do you just, translate, like, a piano score to an orchestra? Well, in my brain, I was kind of doing the opposite. Like, I heard it in my brain as an orchestral piece, and I was putting it into piano. Okay. That's just, yeah, that's, I don't know. I can, there's, like, a lot of notes going on then. Well, I... I don't know. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah. Yeah, there's... It's a, but it's, it's actually, <laughs> if you listen to, like, there is a piano version of it. Uh, that was recorded once, one time. And if you listen to that in the orchestral piece, they're almost identical. There's some little flourishes that Andy put in uh, that we discussed and he threw in there, but I'd say probably 90-something percent of it is pretty much exactly the notes on the page of the piano score. But when you start moving things around and breaking them into different parts, like a single melodic line, and you have a bunch of strings playing it as opposed to one note on a piano, it really gains a lot of weight. So you... 
it's it's orchestral score is interesting that it doesn't have to be as dense as you think it is to have this dense feeling to it because a lot of the instruments are playing the same part yeah like there'll be a lot of unison stuff but you have all these different colors right i don't know it's no i see what you're saying yeah it was a really cool um and i apologize i forgot your original question about this um um, i don't know what i was asking you either (laughs) (laughs) i guess we were just talking oh we were talking about um you're asking about the piece. But. Well, I was asking about all the other the other recordings too that we're going to be playing today. Oh, um, right. and, but so we're going to run out to break. But before we do that, um, you've recorded and produced everything that we're playing today, right? Yes, uh, and I played all the instruments except for the drums. Although, actually, are you playing Tokyo Drift? Yeah. Well, we're going to be doing that as a feature track. So that one, that one, I actually played the drums on as well. Mm-hmm. That was the only track I think I've ever recorded where I played everything. Oh. Um, and this is all done on a sixteen-track, one-inch tape machine, and so it's all mixed. It's all fully analog and. A huge pain in the butt, but <laughs> I like the way it turned out. So. Well, everybody, uh, this is Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Show. My special guest today is Jason Achilles. And uh, you can find out more about Jason at jasonachilles.com, on Instagram at Jason Achilles, and also on Facebook at Jason Achilles. And uh, we're going to take you out to break with his song, Ready to Launch. Oh, I like this one. And then we're going to bring you back in with his song, Stratus. So... Ready to launch. I'm going to give you a quick story. Uh, I was driving one day and I thought to myself, what would I like to hear during a launch? Mm. And then that like immediately came into my head. It was that mostly the drum beat. Mm-hmm. And so I raced to my studio and I did I actually did a demo of it on Pro Tools with like, you know, fake drums and just like a synth bass or something just to get that groove down before I like, I think I sang it into my voice recorder on the phone on Mm -hmm. the way, but I went, I was driving back somewhere from Anaheim or something and I went straight to my downtown studio, recorded it. And that's, and then re-recorded it obviously with real instruments and my drummer, but it, it was like, yeah, in like five seconds, the whole thing came together. It was space rock, space rock. Yeah. (laughs) Space balls. (laughs) <laughs> space balls oh wait is this time it's time show everybody space balls where the real money from the music is made <laughs> space balls to cereal and you're listening to the Arwen Lewis show we'll be right back Jason Achilles. You can visit jasonachilles.com for my music and sounds from Mars. And you are listening to the Arwen Lewis Show.
everybody. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. This is episode one of season two, and my very special guest is Jason Achilles. And for those of you who are just tuning in, Jason is a musician, songwriter, composer, a symphonic composer, space roadie, and also... Um, well, you know what? I'm not going to say anymore. Jason, I'm just going to ask you, why Spaceballs? Spaceballs? Do you mean Spaceballs by Lesser Evil? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Spaceballs is one of the top five greatest movies ever made. And uh, check marks all the boxes and is probably more highly accurate than most serious science fiction. <laughs> it's a uh, legend of a film. It is flawless. It has Daphne Zuniga, which... Nobody gets mad at. It's John Candy, which, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's us playing with our dolls again. <laughs> and I introduced uh, young Miss Arwen Lewis to Spaceballs one day after a show we had played, I think. And I did. I watched it. another uh, glass of iced tea. Mm-hmm. And she appreciated it, which is why we're still friends, because... <laughs> I could have gone south. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It's an amazing movie. If anybody doesn't understand Spaceballs and or appreciate it, they're they're going to have a hard time. Well, they'll definitely have a hard time dealing with me, <laughs> uh, let alone uh, Walter White over here on the console. Or anybody else. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We like we we need. Can we like insert? Like you got it. Like yes, we need this picture. Richard, <laughs> folks can... need to know what we're dealing with here. Like oh. this is glorious and intimidating all at once. He's a good looking man. He's a good looking man, right. and right. just don't don't cross him. <laughs> you were great in Godzilla, by the way. <laughs> anyway, back to spaceballs. Um. Well, I mean, that was kind of just my question. I really just wanted to know why. But I have another question. Yes. Does Mars really breathe fire? Uh, no. It's actually. I mean, it's a horrible place to live, and it wants to kill you, but not by fire. How? Why yeah. is it red? Uh, it's because uh, a lot of iron oxide, basically rust, as I understand it. I am not a planetary geologist, but that is my understanding is that it's, uh, yeah, it's like, I think that's right. But there's no oxygen, so things aren't going to be rusting. Um, but I believe it's iron oxide. That's all I wanted to know. I th- well, I could. This could be totally wrong. This is not my department, so um, maybe somebody could Google that and look it up. I googled it, and that was the answer. Wait, so, oh, yeah. Was that? Oh, that was a test. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, let's actually go. Um, let's start talking about your planetary. I'm not actually a rocket scientist. I just hang out with them. Well, you know a lot about it. Mm. And I, <laughs> um, well, let's talk about your planetarium show that you're currently. Oh. No, no, it's just it's just it's it's so fresh. I've been trying to put together this. So I started around 2019 before Perseverance landed. But after I had picked up the gig to help work on the microphone, um, I started giving talks. Uh, initially, um, my good friend Rebecca Larson, who was a genius and a uh just got her phd finally she works with james webb space telescope but her phd was delayed because she because of all the delays of the telescope to get launched oh that's which, so yeah that's that's when that's how boring your life is when you're waiting for the largest man-made you know technological achievement <laughs> to get launched into space so you can get your phd about it that's rebecca but she invited me to she was the host of a 
an organization called Astronomy on Tap, which is a nationwide lecture circuit in different towns hosted by various local branches. And she was hosting the one in Austin, Texas, and invited me to come be a speaker there. So she gave me my first speaking gig, basically giving a talk about uh, my life on Mars, kind of my basically how a career in music and sound led me to working in space and with NASA. And I also played that day. I was my own, my own opening act. Hmm. Um, and so that was back in, yeah, 2019. And so, and it was great. It was like 250 people or so. It was this big bar area. Yeah. What, what venue so was astronomy it? on tap. And, and uh, that one was at the place called the red door, I think okay. in Austin. I'm not sure where they're doing it now because this was before pandemic. So, you know, a lot of things came and went. But uh, basically, yeah, they give astronomy lectures all across the country with booze. Cool. It's wonderful. <laughs> we it's have one in Santa Barbara, I think, too, don't we? I don't know if there's a branch here or not. Yeah. Um, they used to. They're, yeah, they kind of sometimes they pop up and people give them a shot. But there's there's at least so the, normally I now I play it uh, in Los Angeles. Um, mm-hmm. There's one that's put on uh, by Caltech and my friend Cameron runs that. So nice. a while ago I convinced him they needed regular live entertainment <laughs> for that. So we play that every, if I'm not traveling or touring or something, I'm, I'm doing that at once a month. But um, basically this idea has branched into me wanting to do this in planetariums mm-hmm. and travel around and basically give what would be like an hour long presentation, which would be, half space lecture, Q&A, you know, take questions from the kids kind of thing. And then the second half is sort of a more traditional, okay, now we're going to play music and you'll see lots of cool stuff, but we're playing it, we'd be playing it live is the point, me, myself and a drummer. So my live show is just me and a drummer for anybody who'll look online and wonder why there's not more people. Um, It's a lot of loop pedals and... It's it's technical. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I've been trying to develop the show and I actually was going to, I found a home for it to develop it here in Santa Barbara at the, is it the Mission? Is that where the planetarium is here in town? It's at the like local science center. It's really cool. It's right up here in the hill. Oh, Natural History Museum. Natural History Museum, I think. Is that right? Yeah, it's like a hole and they have a planetarium there, a small planetarium. But, and we booked a show. We were going to do it. And uh, and then just a few months ago, and then uh, <laughs> they found out there was some structural integrity issues. And now <laughs> things are on pause. And then, uh, and then uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to find a good home to develop the show. And then once we can, you know, because it's, it's technical, you, you sort of need to be in a planetarium to design a show for a planetarium, especially if you're going to do live music and all this stuff, so... Which how? most people don't do. Yeah. I was going to say, how does the sound work in that kind of... Building? So normally when we play shows, you know, we're playing loud blasting amps and everything. Um, I had a, a friend at, at uh, Yamaha Music who actually was able to hook me up with a um, an amp modeler mm-hmm. for bass and guitar, uh, which I normally am, you know, digital modeling amps are like... Was it anathema? Is that how you pronounce the word? Mm-hmm. I always want to say anathema, but I think it's anathema. anathema. Mm-hmm. And, uh, meaning I don't like them, (laughs) but, um, in, so in a planetarium, you're inside a giant dome, right? Where audio is going to bounce around and could be a complete disaster. And so I wanted a situation where I could control the audio completely. And 
so running a digital modeling amp situation and then having my drummer play uh, electronic drums would be the answer where the loudest mm -hmm. sound you would hear would be you know just slapping on plastic when he's hitting the cymbals but and then basically i would submix the audio and then send it to the house speakers as just a stereo mix and i can bring it up and down just like a dj would and um that's how we solved the sound issue so we've tried it out and mm -hmm. it sounds great we just need to finish building the actual live show part and then we're ready to go well, so, any takers? <laughs> I need. I would love a grant if anybody wants to <laughs> grant away. You know, everybody. This is Jason Achilles, and he just told you about his brilliant idea for his planetarium music show. Going on the road should, soon. I think you should. I'm going to record a voiceover for you to introduce <laughs> the whole thing. Can I read this introduction? That's that was a lot. <laughs> Maybe we'll condense it. You know, so it was great. I, I was asked Arwen had asked me for a you know a bio to submit, and which she obviously elaborated on. But I did incur the, include the word con concurrently in my bio, never thinking anybody would have to say that word out loud. So I'm sorry about that. I don't think I stuttered over that one. No, I I just did trying to say it to you. Concurrently, concurrently, concurrently. I am Show talking on. to Jason Achilles. This is, this is why she's a singer and I'm not. <laughs> um, everybody, this is Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest is Jason Achilles. Um, you can find him on Instagram at Jason Achilles, jasonachilles.com, and on Facebook under Jason Achilles. And we're going to take you out to break with his song, Anastasia. And well, bring like you this one. back in with Billy Joel. Is Billy Joel? Billy Joel is not my lover. Yeah, I'll <laughs> I'll explain that when we get back. Okay, see you in a minute.
Hello, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest is Jason Achilles. And you just heard his song, Billy Joel is Not My Lover. Please elaborate. Yeah, that was... uh, (laughs) I love that song. We love playing that song live. Um, Initially, the low end, so the keyboard... I'm not sure which... uh, So the the keyboard has kind of like the domp, domp, domp thing that goes all the way throughout. When I first wrote that tune or was first sort of working it out with a drummer the bass was going doom ba doom ba doom ba which is a billy joel bass line from um oh, i can't remember the song it's it, it, oh, moving out it, it might is that it yeah it's it, it's it's in my mind at the grocery uh, store uh, that one moving out ding, yeah. ding, ding. It, and so in my brain i was thinking oh this is a billy joel bass line but the problem is so we when we play live we play with loops and the drummer has to really be able to lock into whatever I'm playing. And at the time, we were having difficulty locking the beat in on this because it's hard to hear the impacts. And if you're a drummer and you're hitting things very hard and you're trying to listen to this little, like bouncing bass line, so I changed it to bump, 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 oh, bump, yeah, okay. bump. So we could perform it live, but the um, but I already had the title at that point. And it's so obviously it's... A riff on Billy Jean and Billy Jones. Billy Jean's not my love. Yeah, it's very clever. It's just yeah, it's it's a fun song. It was like eight minutes long or something like that, and that's the short it. version. Live, we usually make it longer. Well, um, you're. I mean, how, well, I want to ask you this, and then I do want to talk about um, your orchestral composition because that's going to be a Carnegie. Girl. Let's just talk about that, and then I want to talk about. Something oh else. yeah. But this is a big deal for you, right? It's going to be your orchestral composition that we were talking about earlier is going to be performed at Carnegie Hall. Not just performed, premiered. Okay, tell us and about gentlemen. that. Uh, I'm, you know, what's the uh, line from Princess Bride? I am often surprised at life's little, or I'm often in life's something about life's little surprises. I can't remember the line. Uh, yeah, I get to have my piece performed at Carnegie Hall in April. April 16th of 2024. And who's performing it? And uh, it's going to be performed by, a, it's, a, it's a, an invited student orchestra uh, from Irvine. And the choir director of this orchestra um, used to be the choir director at the Greek church that I sing, I sing at. Um, I'm in town. I'm in the St. Sophia Greek Orthodox Church in, in uh, Los Angeles. And I, I'm part of the choir there. And... He was the conductor there for a while, or uh, yeah. Um, but he also his his regular job is that he um, he, he has a uh, he's, he teaches at Beckman High School in Irvine, and okay. uh, he has developed an award award winning orchestra there. These kids are amazing, and um, actually, I think I'm also going to be playing with them this Christmas, sometime before Christmas. I'm going to be going and playing. I did this last year. I've done this a couple of times where they covered a couple of songs from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so it's orchestral music, but it has electric guitar. And he's like, why don't you come be our guest and you can play electric guitar and play with an orchestra. I'm like, heck yeah. And sure. that's, that is an interesting experience. That is, you think you've like, you've got that live stage thing down and then you try and play with an orchestra and you're like, Ugh. how does your approach differ? Well, when you're playing with it, so people don't, I think... A lot of times people don't understand why being a conductor is such a big deal because the best thing a conductor can do with an orchestra is make it sound normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> like no problems. And, you know, is when you're on stage, stage, when you're on, yeah, stage. So I've sang in choirs. I, I actually, the last time 
I actually sang in a choir at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in L.A., doing music from uh, movie music from like Conan the Barbarian. And, oh, and, but you're so <laughs> far away from the conductor that the, 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 the sound measurably is delayed by the time it reaches you and back. And so if you're waiting for audio cues to jump in and hit your marks, it's going to be smeared. It's going to be a huge mess. So basically, you have to completely trust the conductor. And that's the best conductors in the world. I, well, the few I've worked with in the world. <laughs> it's, my, my experience is limited. But they, they, they have a way of just ensuring your trust very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that when they say you sing, even though you're not hearing the, the downbeat necessarily on the mark, and, you know. So sound, I just actually recently discovered the sound is delayed by basically a millisecond per foot of travel. That's so, crazy that they can read that too. So if you're 50 that. feet away from somebody, you're getting a, 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 a noticeable, like quick slap delay, Elvis style slap delay in time it's taken to get to you. And if you wait to react to that, and now you, now it's a hundred, it's double the time because you had waited. Now the sound's got to travel back and everything gets smeared out and it's a mess. So that's, Yeah. I don't even, I'm sorry, I, I keep doing this, but what was the question? <laughs> um, we were just talking about Carnegie Hall, and so can people get tickets for this? I, yeah, probably not yet. It's not yet listed on the website. Okay. Um, but, it, but the cool thing is, yeah, so I recorded these pieces, but other than the recording, they've never been performed. They've never actually been performed live anywhere. Okay. I've got, well, I've got one that's released. I've recorded three total. Okay. Um, no, sorry. I've written three total. I've recorded two of them. And one of them's been publicly released, which is the one that's going to get performed. Number two, right? Schismatique number two. We're which, actually, yeah. yeah, we're going to take people out to break with that, but not quite yet. So are there? Wait for it, kids. Uh, yeah, wait it's for it. It's really good. But so there's one, two, and three? No, the third one is a separate piece that I actually wrote for. His name's uh, Jim Colius. Um, he had asked me to write a piece for his kids, and he wanted it to be quick. He wanted it to be fast, he wanted it to be difficult, and he wanted it to be fun. And so it basically starts and it goes, it's like if you had the, if you had the sort of like a five minute piece by Beethoven that never slowed down. <laughs> so it just goes and it goes and it goes and it like, there's dynamic, but it never slows down. Mm -hmm. And so we called it fantastique Oh, <laughs> on a theme. Yeah. So there's schismatique one and two, and then there's fantastique. I was wondering about the Q U E endings. Was that just for fun? So a friend of mine, when I wrote these in college, I had a buddy of mine who as I was writing it, he was just really, I missed that dude. I don't even, I have no idea what happened to him. Uh, his What's name his was Steve. Name? Yeah. And <laughs> Steve. he, uh, he also lent me a bass guitar and I lent him a thousand dollars from where I came up with a thousand bucks in college. But, and then he, he disappeared, vaporized, never saw him again. <laughs> so I have this piece of crap thousand dollar bass, <laughs> uh, which I record all my stuff with. Actually, it's an amazing instrument, but also he came up with the name schismatique. He, I think his, the pieces are kind of like they're kind of all over the place so mm -hmm. i think it was a play on the word schizophrenic and mixed with like steak <laughs> <laughs> to make it sound you know yeah very um you know it bedazzles it it, it gives it it, it swords <laughs>
<laughs> all right, the Schwartz I can deal with. The bedazzlement, that's all Miss Arwen Lewis, ladies and gentlemen, with her Spaceballs by Lesser Evil. And that's also cinnamon sugar flavored, so I'm just going to tell everybody about that. But I don't want everybody to know because then the popcorn will be gone. Um, really quickly. <laughs> Amazing. Why? I know this isn't the worst interview you've done. <laughs> no, this is, I'm, I'm having sure a great time. I'm not sure if it's the most informative, but we're getting there. Are we, are we doing okay, Jeremiah? <laughs> um, what I wanted to ask I'm really. Learning. Yeah. I'm learning. This is for the kids, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. All about the education. <laughs> what was your question? Uh, when did you integrate the theme of space into your music? I never did that on purpose. Just well, except for that one song, RTL, that was, you got to come up with titles for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the only one that was ever consciously written with that in mind. Okay. Um, the other stuff, I don't, I, you know, it's weird. Like the last band, the whole reason why I do instrumental music is just because I got burned by too many lead singers and bands. <laughs> not, not Miss lovely Arwen Lewis. <laughs> uh, she's amazing. We've done many shows together. Yeah, I've, yeah. For those at home, I played your music and we've shared gigs where I backed you up and then did my thing. And, and you and composed a really beautiful, let's tell everybody about that. Well, I, so you have, a, oh, we should have played, that should have been one of the songs we played today. It's okay. Okay, Arwen has a song called Winter and there's two versions of it and the sort of small instrumental or instrumental -er is now a word yes um there's a broken down version at the end of the ep i think right it's the mm -hmm. last track yeah uh where it's it's a song called winter but it's a very stripped down version and uh you invited me to play piano on that which we recorded with graham, graham. and uh had a couple glasses of wine because graham's very generous like that <laughs> we recorded that but basically, yeah, I, I laid down a piano part for that song, which I actually was very happy with. It, it turned out really nice. And, well, and then uh, we put cello on it with Angus Cook. That's right, yeah. And my guest last week, <clears throat> so James Lowe is a band from a band called the Electric Prunes. So I Electric had, Prunes. Yes. As opposed to those acoustic prunes. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, and his son was here, also a musician. He said, he was like, I son love- of the Prunes. The son of the Prunes. <laughs> well, he said that was his favorite track. That's because he's, he's a very intelligent, <laughs> young, entrepreneurial individual. I guess so. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, but the space thing, I, it was never on purpose. I, I mean, I'm, I like space. You know, mm -hmm. um, I guess, but the, what I was rambling about trying to get to earlier is that, um, all the bands I've been in the past have been very, like I've tried to, especially the ones that I started, um, they have a, like a really forward moving, almost like punk rock kind of energy, but with a rock and roll, you know, sort of vibe to it. And then, uh, after I was like, all right, I can't work with any singers anymore. This is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I started doing instrumental music and uh, the instrumental music is weird. It's like I used to, my pedal board used to literally be like my band had to yell at me just to buy a tuner <laughs> and like I really resisted. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, I was playing on another band for a while that wasn't uh, that I, 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 okay, now I got a flanger and a delay pedal, but now my pedal board is literally like. It won't even fit in the frame here. It's like, it's crazy. It looks like the space shuttle. <laughs> and um, I've only put things in there as they became necessary, but like there's multiple Luber pedals and all that stuff. And it's because we're playing as a two-piece and you have to cover all this range of stuff and, and it's very atmospheric. And because the guitar now is the voice, 
anyway, you have to. Um, so it's developed this atmospheric quality to it. And one of my favorite guitarists in the world is Andy Summers of the police mm-hmm. who sort of inspired a whole like any, like all that like atmospheric clean tone flangey stuff in the eighties. A lot of that was came from Andy's fingers, you know, and to their year, like the edge mm-hmm. guys like this were, I, I don't think the edge would argue that he was definitely inspired by Andy. Well, people are going to get to hear you do that in just a second because oh, we're going to take right. him out to break. Oh, what song are we doing? Well, first, we're going to take them out with your uh, orchestral composition okay. uh, called Schizmatique number two. Schizmatique. Schizmatique. Yeah, like schizophrenic, but with the teak. <laughs> a pretty schizophrenic. Wonderful wood. I'm a big fan of teak <laughs> on boats. Well, and then we're going to bring him back in with your song Panhandle. Panhandle is Every- a good one. I like that one. Yeah. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. And my very special guest is Jason Achilles. Find out more about him on Facebook under Jason Achilles. Instagram, look up Jason Achilles and on jasonachilles.com. We'll be right back. All the Jason Achilles. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. Or if we can hear the engineer laughing in the background right now. Uh, that's Jason Achilles over Hello, there. Hello, everybody. Hey, by the way, before we finish this off, I have a present for Miss Arwen. What is it? Arwen Lewis. Oh, your little. Let me show that to the your class. magnet. There we go. Oh. My cartoons I, are better. With I actually brought fine, enough though. for the whole class, but <laughs> but just know that Arwen, you were the special one. These guys just get one by default. Thank you. They're actually little magnets. They're very nice. Thank you. A friend of mine, Melanie Escom, is her name. She did those. Oh, okay. Uh, she just did it for fun and sent sent it to me, and I'm like, I obviously need to make something out of this. So. Well, I'm gonna put it on my refrigerator when I get home. <laughs> Works on dartboards, whatever you any whatever you need. Oh, I don't have a dartboard. My friend um, Sarah has a dartboard, and I also played darts in Alaska once, and it was great. <laughs> I'm very good at it. <laughs> I, that doesn't surprise you. Strike me as somebody who would be irrationally good at darts. Yes, I have very yeah. good aim. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Yeah, you like I'm I'm kind of like that a little bit with golf. Like I can go and I can for some reason when you do the like what's the first hit called the drive or whatever. 
it just sort of pisses off everybody because they know I don't practice or care and somehow it's like you know happy Gilmore and then <laughs> it all disintegrates after that but like similarly somebody who's really good at darts I could see really angering a lot of people especially the English yes well you know I have some English friends so that's okay yeah. but you I'm, used to before you played darts with them no they support <laughs> me <laughs> well, if they get you on their team that's uh, that's um I forgot what I was going to ask you. Good, I'm glad. I'm no, not the only who are one. some of your greatest musical influences? Oh, I was actually thinking for some random reason I was thinking about my top guitar players the other day, and so obviously Eddie Van Halen is the king. Um, but uh, what was my list? Oh, and Andy Summers. So the top five is besides Eddie is uh, Steve Clark from Def Leppard, um, and. As much a player, but more for like the ability to not allow crummy parts of songs to stay in the song, which is, I think, one of the best and most crucially overlooked, especially nowadays. But when you had producers with labels working with bands back in the day, the producer would sort of like, or the A&R guy kind of, they kind of became producers. What like half of their job was to like make sure, okay, yeah, make sure the songs are good, but like. Make sure that the bad parts aren't in there anymore. Mm. You know, a lot of artists want to be self-indulgent or they want to like be artsy and they want to do things. And a lot of those ideas are great, but every once in, you know, some, a lot of them are not great. Yeah. And having somebody who can be like, nope, get rid of that part. It's not good. Yeah. And um, Steve Clark was an amazing player and he had a great feel. But I think probably the most important contribution he made was not letting crummy parts in the songs. And coming up with just great changes. Um, Joe Walsh. I mean, I'm talking about guitar players here, obviously. But yeah. um, And Stuart Copeland, actually. He was a drummer from the police, but uh, he's one of my favorite musicians ever. Um, those are the ones that come to mind. Well, everybody's going to get to hear um, how they've influenced you in your featured song, Tokyo Drift. So you want to tell us a little bit about uh, that to finish well, up the show? Actually, okay. Well, so two quick stories. How much time we got? All right, we got time. So... In terms of influence, um, so I ended up playing everything on this piece. I am a terrible, terrible drummer. And especially now, like, keep in mind, none of this could be edited. This is all done on tape. So I had a little remote unit, so I could, I wheeled it over next to the drum set. Now, there's not full drums in the sense that there's a lot of, like, cymbals and washiness, but there's this hi-hat thing that goes throughout. That hi-hat piece uh, or element is from Chariots of Fire, Vangelis, <laughs> or Vangelis is how you would say in Greek. Um, this, this like cycling open close hi-hat thing. And, um, I sort of had a click track in the sense that the, there's this, um, arpeggiating riff that I programmed into programmed. It was, I played into this nine, it's a 1981 Yamaha CS70M synth. So like <laughs> pre MIDI, that's this thing weighs like 150 pounds, but I recorded the loop into that. And then played along to that. So I kind of had a click. Even then, I, you can, my timing's terrible. Um, so that's how the drums are recorded on that. As far as the name Tokyo Drift, the reason it's named that. So my studio is downtown in Los Angeles. And I have a studio neighbor there uh, named Evan Radonich, who is uh, an amazing uh, musician, uh, uh, engineer, um, performer he's he's really astounding he's one of those like really irritatingly talented <laughs> just like screw you dude and um 
And uh, but he our studios were it's kind of like it was like it's 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 sort of like a rehearsal slash like a lot of it's a lot of rooms next to each other, but it's well soundproof. So you can actually use them as reasonable recording studios. I wouldn't, you know, record like Celine Celine Dion vocals (laughs) there, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, for what I do, which you've heard, obviously nothing is very delicate, but we were when I was recording that song, there's this big open back parking lot and there was these guys in the back with their like little Jap racers, you know, like these like little Hondas and whatever's that they've juiced up, you know, with mm-hmm. the, and they're doing donuts and like, <laughs> you know, like all night, like, you know, for days on end, this was going on. And the day I was doing some element of that song and my buddy comes in and, you know, I'm showing him what I'm doing. And it's like, God, it sounds like Tokyo drift out there. <laughs> like, and that's the name of the song. I don't know. It's just something. It, it reminded me of Blade Runner a yeah. little bit. <laughs> something about the name of the song, and then the fact that these, you know, the smoke that was coming up, and it was just this weird ethereal. And my studio looks out over downtown LA, mm-hmm. so there is like the whole Blade Runner vibe was like fully present, you know. And uh, yeah, even though it like sonically, it's a slow ethereal song. And it's really cool. I hope people like it. But I, I love this song. We take this song, and when we do it live, it it, it gets stretched out like twice the length it is, and and a lot of it, there's always a lot of improvisation on it. It's, well, it's hypnotizing, right? That's yeah. a good word. For it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, everybody, um, my very special guest has been Jason Achilles. Thank you so much for coming on my show today. My very special host has been Miss Arwen Lewis, sponsored. Bye. <laughs> Spaceballs. <laughs> you can uh, buy Jason's music at jasonachilles.com. Uh, or no. I think I have a Bandcamp okay. page, actually. If you really want to buy it where I'd actually get money for it. Yeah. Uh, that would be amazing. Uh, if you go to Bandcamp, um, if you search Jason Achilles on Bandcamp, you'll find it. I, I'll have to figure out an easier link. If you just like streaming stuff, uh, Spotify, Jason Achilles. Okay. That would be awesome. Yeah, actually, we need Spotify followers and stuff because nobody knows who the heck we are. We is me and my drummer, Forrest. Um, so, yes, please go on Spotify. And if you want to buy stuff, like, yeah, Bandcamp is a great way to do it. They can, you can get MP3s or... I actually have vinyl. I have limited edition actual vinyl of my first record, too. How can which, they get that? That is a good question. Um, Contact you? I think I have it on my website. I think you can order it through the website. You might be able to get it on Bandcamp. I need to... I'm sort of updating all this stuff because I got some new music coming out. Um, Mm -hmm. And I need to get my affairs in order. (laughs) (laughs) But... Or just... If worse come to worse, you can email me on the website if if anybody really wants something, which I will be happy to help. Thank you. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, thank you, Miss Arwen Lewis. And check out our song, Winter. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. You can look that up on my album, Under the Stars. Contributed to. This is is Arwen Lewis. This is all. This is it. Thank you for listening to my show. Separation anxiety. Let's go get some tacos. (laughs) Have a good day.
The Arwen Lewis Show was brought to you by Evolve Entertainment. Host, Arwen Lewis. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Producer and sound engineer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. You can find Arwen Lewis and all of her music at arwenlewismusic.com. And follow her on Instagram at Arwen Lewis. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.